0: This podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Underground.
1: It's our new membership designed for you to help you attract more clients and hit 10K a month consistently.
0: For more information or to sign up, go to the thecopywriterunderground.com.
1: What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Rob and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast.
0: You're invited to join the club for episode 112 as we chat with launch specialist and email copywriter Chris Orzakowski about what it takes to land a retainer client His closely held secrets for writing email that customers want to read, the lessons he's learned from creating high-performing funnels, and how copywriting is a bit like high school wrestling.
1: Hey, Chris, welcome.
2: Hey, Kira, Rob. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Yeah, we're excited to have you here. So, Chris, let's kick this off with your story. How did you get into copywriting?
2: So I got into copywriting a little over five years ago. Uh, I went to college to become a teacher because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was a wrestler, so I figured, "Ah, I guess I'll go teach, I'll coach wrestling, and that'll be my life. And then uh, I got done with my first day of school, my first day of work, and I went home and I said, man, I had made a huge mistake. I do not want to do this at all, let alone for the rest of my life. So I started looking around, I said, you know, there's always people who use the internet and they make money. And I was like, I wonder how that works. And I wonder if I could figure out how to do the same thing too. And uh, one of my mentors, this uh, strength coach, this guy, his name was Zach Evanesh. He was one of the early strength conditioning publishers back from like 2003 is when he first started online. And he was always like selling eBooks and programs, doing all this online marketing stuff. And I was always following along with what he did. And I was like, man, this is really cool. Maybe I could do the same kind of thing. So I started going down that rabbit hole and studying everything. And I started a few blogs and websites. And one actually got a little bit of traction was about coaching wrestling because that's what I was pretty good at. You know, I had a few articles go viral. I had like a weekly podcast. I was doing daily emails to an email list and blogging and do all, all these things. And I wasn't really making much money with it, so after about you know eight or nine months, I said, "This is really cool, but I'm taking you know six to eight hours a day working on this after my day job. I'm not really making the kind of money that I thought I would. So let me just pick one thing that I really want to focus on and go deep. And you know, out of all the things that were involved with kind of trying to build that online business, the copy was the part that I loved the most. I loved writing the emails, um, and I was like, "This is something that is just so cool to me. Like I could literally." get paid thousands of dollars to hand people a Google document with words on it. And I was just so enamored by that idea. I was like, this is what I'm going to learn. I'm going to get really, really good at this.
1: Cool. So when during these early days, were you teaching and then figuring this out on the side? How did you have time to figure this out and have a podcast and emails and and learn?
2: Well, I didn't really have a life for about four years. So. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was working full-time as a teacher, um, commuting, you know, my first job, I was commuting like 45 minutes to an hour each way, sometimes longer, depending on traffic. So I'd wake up at 5 a.m., I'd do, you know, an hour of work, I'd go to work all day. If I had a lunch break or a prep, most of those, especially later on in my teaching career, were spent you know, on the phone with clients or answering emails and doing all those kind of things. Um, And then after school, I would get home at, you know, three, four o'clock. If It was wrestling season. I'd get home later. I'd work until nine or 10, sometimes 11 o'clock at night. I'd work six to eight hours every Saturday and Sunday on the weekends. I'd get up early. So, yeah, it was just a grind. It was a real, real long grind for four years. But that's what I wanted to do. And I knew that that was my only way out. I call that like embracing the suck, right? Like you just got, it's going to suck and you just got to get through it. And uh, it took me a lot longer than than most people because I didn't really know what I was doing, but eventually I figured it out. So
0: it's interesting, Chris, a lot of copywriters find their way to copywriting from other careers. And we certainly talked to a bunch who've done you know similar things. Would you say that there are things about being a teacher that helped you become a better copywriter or things that you learned as a wrestling coach that you know, you apply it to your job as a copywriter today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I was a special education teacher and I taught uh, math and English. And uh, I, I originally started in elementary school. And one of the, the coolest things that I, I really hold on to today from that whole experience was when I was teaching these kids, you know, third, fourth, fifth graders who had learning disabilities how to write, you know, it's not like, you know, a regular classroom where you can just give kids a piece of paper and say, hey, all right, we're going to write a uh, essay, or we're going to write a story. So, you know, here's, you know, get your big idea and just start going. What we had to do was really break everything down into like a structure. And, you know, so much of copy is structures, right? Like a sales letter has a structure, an email has a structure, a VSL, um, a webinar, all these, even a launch, they all have structures to follow. So, I think one of my advantages was when I was teaching these kids who, you know, they could barely write their own name, I had to teach them how to write, you know, a page or two page long story or essay or whatever it was. So the way we did that was we say, okay, we want to do this huge thing, this two page story, right? What we got to do is we got to break it down into little parts and then each one of those parts has a template. So we'd give them sentence starters or we'd give them these other little pieces that they could kind of grasp onto and things to get them started. And so much of copy is like that, right? We know that you know we all have headline formulas and swipe files and we we know, okay, we have the headline, the subhead, we have the opening sentence, we have the lead, we have the sales argument, we have the transition to the product, right? So it's just being able to see that before I ever got into it, it really helped me analyze what I was seeing just in the marketplace and just through studying ads and people's products and all of those things. So it kind of gave me that vision. Um, and then when I started helping other people with their writing, I had that framework to work from. It wasn't just like, hey, you know, go do the research and start writing. It was like, no, okay, let's fill in these blanks here. We have all of these things that we need to fill in. We have, you know, we have the bullets over here. We have the clothes. We need to It just helped me progress a lot faster. And the people that I worked with, it helped them progress a lot faster.
0: Cool. Let's talk a little bit about the shift from working on your own projects to working for other clients. How did you land those first couple of clients? What were you doing?
2: Oh man, I tried everything. I did like, <laughs> I probably got like 300 no's before I ever got a yes. Um, you know, I, I kind of just went all in. So I was doing, you know, I was reading all these books I said, oh, send letters in the mail to, you know, local businesses. And that did not work very well at all. I cold called a couple places. Um, you know, the, where I really started getting traction though, was just meeting people online, like in Facebook groups, buying people's products, you know, buying copywriting products and getting into, you know, groups and circles where there were either other copywriters who could introduce me to someone or uh, other business owners where they were hanging out. And um, once I started like offering some work for free to a few people, you know, I, I remember that one, you know, the first two or three clients I ever got, I offered work for free. And basically they were pretty happy with what I did. So they referred me to other people. And a lot of people are not willing to do that at first. And I totally understand. And, you know, everyone's, you know, some people are like never work for free, but I did it and I still recommend it because you know, you do work for free for one person, then maybe they know one or two more people. Maybe you can get, you know, a hundred bucks for that first project, and then maybe they know two or three people. I kind of figured, all right, if I could build up this network of people and just, you know, if I meet one person, then I meet one more person and then they know three people and just keep doing that over and over and over again. That was really how I started to get traction. And uh, you know, now I'm at the point where I have so much referral work because I have such a big network that I have to turn a lot of it away. So it's obviously it might be a little bit of you know a long game taking that angle, but that that's kind of how I got started. I don't know if that's the best way to do it. That's just what I did though.
1: Yeah, you you mentioned embracing the suck, and the, like you had four years of it just sucking. So I wonder what that moment was for you where you were kind of like, okay something's working here. Maybe maybe you didn't even land a client yet, but you just had that glimmer of hope to keep you going. Because I feel like the struggle when you're in that stage is you wonder if it's worth it, or maybe you're just not meant for this. And I think copywriters give up too soon because it sucks so bad. And how, how do you hang on? And what was that moment for you where you're like, I've got this?
2: <laughs> well, uh, so I had, I worked at two different schools. So I worked at the school in Westfield, New Jersey for two years. And then I ended up working back in my hometown in Oldbridge for two years. Now, when I was at Westfield, my first year, I was probably working like 12 hours a day. So I wasn't able to work as much on, on the copy stuff. So I was getting there at seven and leaving, you know, getting home at seven. And at the end of my second year, I went in for my I guess like end of the year review and they told me they were not redoing my contract, which in other words means you're fired. You're no longer working here. So at that point I had just started to get my first couple clients and you know, I made a couple hundred bucks here. You know, I might've made a couple couple grand that year from writing copy. And I said, crap, I just got fired from this job what am I going to do? Like, I didn't have the skills and the confidence yet to go full-time freelance. I didn't have the connections. I didn't have any of that stuff. So I was like, I can't, I don't feel confident enough to just jump in and say, okay, I'm just going to be a full-time freelancer now. You know, I was getting ready to propose to my now wife, then girlfriend, you know, we were going to buy a house. And I was like, man, all these things got to be put on hold now. I don't know what to do. So I just said, this is going to suck, but I'm going to have to get another job. And that's what I did. I got another teaching job. And I said to myself, all right, dude, you're not that good at this. So you need to start hauling ass and start making things happen. Because otherwise, you know, you're not going to last, you know, like you got fired from this one, the next job wasn't wasn't, you know, I was doing okay there. But I still just couldn't see myself ever putting forth that effort in that job to really be able to make that long term. So for me, it was almost like I had that deadline. I didn't know when it was coming. But I was like, I probably am not going to last at this job either. <laughs> you know, both from the last ones. Um, and I recognize that. I'm honest with myself. I'm, you know, I wasn't going to say, oh, no, th- those guys suck. You know, I probably wasn't. You know, I was, I was a good teacher. But uh, to really excel, you know, you really need to give it your all. And um, I, you know, I was clearly uh, distracted because I wanted to do this other thing. So I just said to myself, I have to make this work. I have a year, maybe two years. And it kind of worked out where at the end of that fourth year, which is my second year at that new gig, you know, they called me in halfway through the year and they said, you know, we feel like your heart's not in this. You know, if you don't pick it up, we're going to let you go. So two weeks later, I walked into my boss's office and I said, "Uh, I'm giving you my notice. And uh, at that point, I was was still a little bit scared, but I had a retainer at this point for over a year. That client had already offered me a full-time gig. So I said, okay, I'm at this point where this client, they want me full-time. Like they think I'm good enough to be, you know, a full-time employee doing this. That was like the vote of confidence that I needed that I said, okay, I can make this happen. I don't know what the future is going to look like. I don't know if I'm going to land on my feet, but I had at least this one client. I've had a few other clients at that point. And I know that if I had enough, you know, if I had that extra eight hours a day, I could probably figure out the rest.
0: Let's talk about that hustle that you mentioned. You know, there are are at least a few people out there who sell this dream that copywriting is not that difficult. It's, you know, not that hard to have a successful business uh, if you're a good writer. But it sounds like that wasn't your experience. Like you worked your tail off and I'm assuming that you would agree that most other copywriters are going to have to do the same. Talk a little bit about that
2: yeah i mean it's a business right and if business was easy then everyone would be successful and be a millionaire right like i you know that that's for me i always recognize that and i think that's just my mentality like as a wrestler you know the whole mentality for that sport is just like outwork everyone like that's everyone's mentality so it's a, it's a real brutal sport but uh i just kind of carried that over into business and said i'm probably not the most naturally gifted at this um everyone else has a head start on me but i know that i can work and I could just outwork everyone. So that's what I kind of decided to do. And the thing is, there's a lot of stuff you have to do because when you're kind of introduced to the whole idea of writing copy, you're like, oh, yeah, just get clients and write. And like those are the only things that you think you have to do. But then there's project management, there's accounting, there's marketing yourself, there's closing deals, there's client management, to actually, you know, managing the expectations and the communications and all those things. There's figuring out ways to get leverage, there's, you know, your own. Uh, business development. There's your skill development. There's so many different things you got to do. And, you know, what really drove that point home for me was um, I was in Kevin Rogers' RFL program and, and still am. I'm in a super group now. And he showed us this pie chart and it was like, you know, you think you're getting into this, but really you're getting into all these things like, you, you know, really only maybe 20 to 30% of your time is actually spent writing. So that was like a huge eye opener for me. And I was like, man, I really got to get good at this other stuff too, because if I don't, I'm not going to have the opportunity to write. Like if I can't get clients, if I can't close them, if I can't manage them, and if I can't keep them happy, I'm not going to be able to do the writing and all the other stuff that I like to do. So, you know, at first it really sucks because you have to figure out all that stuff at once and you're probably not good at any of it. You might be okay at the writing. You might not be. But I just said, you know what, I'm going to get good at everything. And, you know, I'll have a few things that I'm better at. And then eventually, like now I'm at the point where I have a VA and I have people who can help me with all the stuff that I suck at. But in the beginning, you know, it's, it's really getting clear on, OK, I'm going to be working really hard. I'm going to be working a lot of hours. It's probably not going to be that fun. But eventually you will get to a point where it is a little bit more fun. It's a little bit more leveraged. And, uh, you know, if you get through that period of time, which not everyone's willing to do, but if you get through that period of time, you can get there.
1: Yeah. So is it fun now? Can we say safely that it's fun? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. There's a happy ending. Um, So how can copywriters outwork everyone else? Because I love that lesson you pulled from wrestling. And I think, you know, Rob and I are competitive people. I think this might help some newer copywriters who are just like, okay, I'm in it. I want to do well. How do I outwork everyone else? Can you give some examples other than uh, you mentioned networking Building relationships in Facebook groups that seems to have worked well for you. What else can copywriters do?
2: Yeah, I think the, the probably the uh, biggest area that most copywriters can improve in is really just bending over backwards to get their client an incredible result. Because if you can do that, that takes care of so many other things. That helps. That is marketing in and of itself, right? Because if you do such an awesome job. What really drove that home for me was when I did that. Philippe already campaign, the Kickstarter campaign, we did $5 million in 30 days. And after that, it got really easy to market myself, because I had that big proof element. And that was when I was still teaching when I did that. And I was working the weekends and waking up, you know, I was taking calls from my clients, they were in Lithuania, and I was waking up at 5am to take, you know, an hour and a half call before I went to work. And a lot of writers, they just say, Ah, well, it's not gonna work for my schedule. So I'm not going to do it. And that's, you know, you are definitely, it's your career. You could, you know, make whatever choice you want to make. But I said, I'm going to bend over backwards and make sure that this project is as big of a success as I can. And even if I don't wring that washcloth dry and get paid every single penny that I think I need to, even if they need something on the fly and I could just go in and do it and it takes 10 minutes, you know, some writers, they'll say, ah, oh, you know, That's not in the contract. I'm not going to do that. And that's, hey, I get it. I'm at that point now where I don't really do as much of that stuff anymore. But in the beginning, especially if you don't have that traction, you don't have that network and those proof elements and everything else, then that's an opportunity for you. You can really go above and beyond. And if you know you can provide something extra to that gig and it'll blow it up and make it even bigger, that's just going to make you look better in the end. And it might suck during that time. But uh, that's just one of the things that I see where, you know, some writers, they're just like, oh, well, I'm just going to come in and do the project and leave. It's like, well, I always took that mentality of like, I want to own this project. I want to treat this like this is my own business because it really is because every project that you do can either go in the good pile or the bad pile. Right. You want more projects in the good pile that you could show to other people. You don't want projects that fail and don't do well. So I think it's just having that kind of ownership mentality in all of these projects that you do. And it's hard because at first, you're not going to be compensated to have that ownership mentality. At first, you're going to be doing these projects and they're going to be reaping all the rewards and you know, you'll know you be lucky if you make 1% of what they earn. Eventually, you can kind of tip the scales in your favor as you get further and further into your career and negotiate better deals and you have more leverage and those kind of things. But I think in the beginning, if you can find clients first select clients who, you know, you can find some easy wins and then really just knock it out of the park for them. That's probably the biggest area of opportunity to really, you know, hustle a lot and and go above and beyond.
0: Yeah, really solid advice. You were talking about that first client that you had as you launched your full-time copywriting gig was a retainer client and I know that you talk a lot about retainers, how to land them and we certainly have a group of copywriters listening who are, you know, thinking, "Oh, retainers would be great. I, you know, I'd love to get myself one or two, you know, as a baseline for my business or maybe they want to run an entire business based on retainers." Talk to us a little bit about what it takes to get retainer clients. How do you find good ones so that, you know, they really are helping you support your lifestyle and not just, you know, make it uh, from paycheck to paycheck, but what does it take to land a great retainer client?
2: So the first thing it takes is finding people who have money. And this is where a lot of copywriters shoot themselves in the foot and they never get this thing off the ground. So mathematically thinking, let's say you want to make $5,000 a month from a retainer client. That's going to be sixty thousand dollars a year. You need to think if you're a business owner, would you pay any one person, you know, sixty thousand dollars in a year if you're only making two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, you probably wouldn't do that. You probably wouldn't lay out that much of your top line revenue. So right off the bat, you can start identifying, okay, well, what are the criteria for a client who would offer a retainer? Well, they're probably making at least seven figures. It's not always true. Like obviously you can get a lower price retainer, but you know, if you want to make three, four, five, six, seven grand a month from a client, they're gonna have to make some money here. So If you could start looking and say, okay, I'm only going to look for people who are at least making seven figures. and It's not always easy to just look at a business and determine how much money they're going to make. But that's kind of the criteria that you have to set for yourself. If you get on the phone with someone and they say, oh, you know, we're kind of just starting out. Well, you know, that's probably not going to be a good deal for you. So a lot of companies, what they do is they offer retainers all the time. But what they do is they disguise them as this three-letter word called a job because clients don't speak the same language as copywriters they don't speak it, right? They say, Hey, I need someone who's going to be here helping me out month after month with all these millions of projects that I have. So I'm going to go post a job. And that's what a lot of them do. And they go on monster and they go on indeed and they go on, you know, Craigslist even, or they'll send an email out to their email list or they'll post on social and say, Hey, we have a position open, or, you know, we're looking to hire someone to do this. And most copywriters don't even notice this stuff because they're like, they're either not looking number one or if they see it, they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to work for that person there. Most of the retainers that I've had have been disguised as jobs, but I work for my home office. I work part time and I make my own schedule and I basically get to decide what kind of project. I'm at the point now where I'm like, hey, here's what we should do. I think we should do these kind of projects. And, you know, it doesn't always happen like that at first, but you start to get more and more of that autonomy and, and those decision making responsibilities as you get better and better. So, you know, when you think about a traditional job versus these opportunities, a traditional job sucks, but these things, you know, they're called jobs, but that's not really what they are. They're just copywriting gigs. And that's kind of what I taught in my course with Kim was hey, here's how to look for these gigs. They're not always going to just say, hey, we're looking for a copywriter to put on retainer. That's not what they go out and say. Sometimes they do if they're really, really savvy and really, really in the know and they've worked with a lot of copywriters before and they understand that. But most of the time these companies, they don't advertise like that. What they do is they say, hey, we're looking to hire someone part-time, full-time, remote, whatever the case may be. That's really the place to start.
1: Hey, we're just jumping into the show today to tell you a little bit more about the copywriter underground. Rob, what do you like best about this membership?
0: So this membership community is full of copywriters that are investing in their businesses and taking what they do seriously. Everything is focused around three ideas, copywriting and getting better at the craft that we all do, marketing and getting in front of the right customers so that you can charge more and earn more, and also mindset so that you can get out of your head and focus on the things that will help you be successful at what we do. There's a private Facebook group for the members of the community. And we also send out a monthly newsletter that's full of advice, again, on those three areas, copywriting, marketing, and mindset, things that you can mark up and you know tear out, put them in your files, save them for whatever, and it's not going to get lost in your email inbox. Carol, what do you like about the Copywriter Underground?
1: So I, I love the monthly hot seat calls where our members have a chance to sit in the hot seat and ask a big question or get ideas or talk through a challenge in their business because we all learn from those those situations. And then I also feel like the templates we include in the membership are valuable because who wants to reinvent the wheel? And Rob and I end up sharing a lot of the templates and resources we use in our own businesses. So I would definitely want to grab those.
0: So if you are interested in joining a community of copywriters that are investing in their business and in themselves and trying to do more, get more clients, earn more money consistently, go to the thecopywriterunderground.com to learn more. Now back to the program.
1: How can you make sure you're not taken advantage of when walking into a new retainer deal? And how can you make sure that you're charging enough, especially if you've never worked on a retainer model before? Uh, do you have any advice about for copywriters who are new to the retainer model?
2: Yes, uh, there's there's so it's all in the negotiation. There's a few different ways that you can kind of structure this. Here's the way that I started. I basically call this the buffet model, which I know you probably cringe when you hear this, and a lot of people do, but it's actually worked out pretty well. I call it the buffet model because what you do is you go to a client. It's very easy to close this. You say, "Listen, you have all this copy. You need help with. I'll help you with all of it." On a, either a part-time or full-time basis, you determine you know how many hours you want to work per week, per month, whatever it is, and you say it'll be X amount. And it's very easy to close that because what happens? One of the big mistakes I see with copywriters when they go to do retainer deals is they'll send someone a ten-page document with all these contingencies and all these different you know it's it's this for this project and this for this, and you know, I'll do X amount of these per month unless you need this, and we can switch it to this. And the client looks at them and they're like, holy crap, there's so much going on here, I can't even fathom all of this. But it's very easy for them to be like, hey. I'm here. I'm going to write your copy. Just pay me X amount a month. That's a very easy thing for a client to grasp onto. These business owners, they don't want to have to calculate hours or think about, oh, how many of the allotted emails did we use this month? Let me go check. They don't want to do any of that stuff. So at least in the beginning, what I what I've said is, listen, I'll work X amount of hours per week for you. And you know what's an hour, right? Who determines an hour? You determine an hour. You can kind, of, you know, I don't sit there with a stopwatch and say, oh. You know, I went to the bathroom and, and, and so I had to turn the clock off for two minutes, right? Because you be Thinking and, so, and some people, they kind of think like, oh, I don't want to get into some kind of an hourly arrangement or something like that because I'll really, you know, shoot myself in the foot. But it's basically saying, hey, I'm going to be available for these many hours and you can determine whether that's hours writing. That could be hours researching. That could be hours doing client communications. You could build all of that stuff in how to not get taken advantage of. It's really just about setting those terms. And even after you set the terms though, it's going to be a lot of learning because what's going to happen is clients, it's not a malicious thing, but what they're going to do is they're going to say, oh my God, we need all these things done. They're going to send it all to you. And some writers are going to freak out. They're going to say, oh, this is not working. This is not working. We have to end this arrangement. But really all you need to do is just push back a little bit and say, hey, listen, I'm going to, here's what I can get done today. Here's what I can get done tomorrow. I can't get this thing done until next week. And the client will usually say, okay. Or they'll say, "Okay, can we shift these two priorities around?" It's not like the work comes down the pipe and then you're forced to do it, right? You can kind of ha- you have a say in the whole negotiation as well. So I think it's a little bit of setting negotiations from the beginning. I think it's a little bit of pushing back and just training clients. Some of these clients even if they have worked with copywriters before, that doesn't necessarily mean they're good at working with copywriters. And I really think that no matter what kind of agreement you're in, you really do have to train clients how to work with you. They don't know how to work with you. They didn't go to school and take a class on how to work with a copywriter. So in my mind, that falls under your responsibility. You know, If you are getting pushed around, then you need to push back and stand up for yourself, which I know for a lot of writers isn't always easy, but that's a skill that you can learn.
0: Okay, I'm sold. Let's say I want a couple of retainer clients. What is the process for getting them? What's the pitch look like? Do I just decide who I want to work with and go after them? Or is there a more scientific method for figuring out who I should work with?
2: There's two ways that I look at that. Um, the first way is you go get them. or the second way is they go get you. So you going and getting them is when they're posting a job position, they say, hey, I need help." please apply here, please reach out to me. At that point, it's kind of, you know, a 50-50 negotiation. you can kind of go and talk to them, see what they need, see what they need help with, see if your skills match up, and then start hashing out details of the deal. That process probably isn't going to be just one conversation. It might be a few emails, it might be a few conversations. You know, I've even had one retainer job where i had to go on three interviews including an in-person interview but it's turned out to be the best retainer i've ever had and i have so much freedom you know a lot of people they they would get freaked out about oh i gotta go you know dress up and, and you know put down put on a nice button down shirt and actually put pants on today and go talk to someone but i viewed that as an awesome opportunity it turned out really well you know the other way is to attract a retainer so basically if you are doing work with a client maybe you have a one-off job and you're able to say hey you know we did your uh we did your webinar, what about, you know, the rest of the emails for this funnel? Or what about, you know, that sales page? or What about your Facebook ads? Let's help you get more traffic. And, you, you know, you if you can find more pain and, and show, demonstrate to them that, you know, hey, we have a lot of work that we can do here to really, you know, optimize your funnel or improve your business, then maybe they'll say to you, okay, hey, why don't we uh, just come up with an agreement or you could even post that to them. I guess a, a splinter off of this idea is basically if you're going to be attracting clients to you, if you're putting out content, if you're, you know, creating eBooks and lead magnets and funnels and all these things. And eventually, you know, you have enough people reach out to you. Some of those people will say, Hey, I really like the cut of your jib. I like the stuff that you do. Maybe we could talk about having a deal. Or, uh, you know, if you get someone on the phone, you see what they need and say, they say, you say to them, wow, you know, you have a lot of stuff that you need. You have this funnel, you have this funnel, you have these launches you want to do. Why don't we do this? And then you're the one who suggested clients like that because, They have so much on their plate already. They want someone who's a subject matter expert. They want someone who can come in and basically say, hey, I'm going to go handle all these problems for you, right? You're going to pay me X amount. Here's how it's going to work. Here's the result we're going to get. And here's how we're going to know we're hitting our goals, blah, 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 right? Clients will be impressed by that stuff. Um, It's just a matter of you kind of taking control.
1: Are you working with retainers now?
2: Yeah, I have two retainer clients. Well, I guess technically three, but... uh, Two are bigger and one's one's a little bit of a a smaller deal where it's just more consulting with not as much writing. I'm working with uh, Jeff Walker's team and uh, John Assereff's team at Neurogym. Those are my two big retainers I got right now.
1: Can you share, if you don't mind, just how much you're charging per retainer or even just the evolution of what you've charged along the way? Maybe when you first got into the retainer model, what you were charging then and then how it's changed over time. Even if you just share rough numbers, it might help.
2: All of my retainers have been four figures, although sometimes when I've done launches with certain clients, that number gets bumped up into a five figure fee just because of, you know, I've had clients go to me and say, hey, you know, we have this huge launch coming up. Can we buy out more of your time? In which case we negotiate and, and bump that figure up. The first retainer I ever got was like 2500 bucks a month. I want to say, I don't even remember what, what the hours were, but it was probably like 10, 12 hours a week. But that only lasted for about six weeks. And I was able to write so fast that they said, Well, we kind of don't have anything else for you to do. So that relationship ended. What I did with my next retainer after that was I said, You know, I want $100 an hour for 10 hours a week. So that was like $4,000 a month. And that one lasted for a while. And it worked out pretty well because I was still teaching at that time. And uh, it was nice because I almost doubled what I was making from the day job. <laughs> so I couldn't complain for, you know, a quarter of the work.
1: So I know Rob said he sold, he wants a retainer tomorrow. For me, I, yeah, I've been more anti-retainer. I get some of the benefits, but can you share some of the benefits and really kind of sell it to us? Like, why should I not just go project to project where I feel more in control of what I can charge and it feels like I'm charging more? Um, And I'm probably wrong about that. Like, what are some of the benefits of these retainers that copywriters should be aware of?
2: Well, you bring up a good point because retainers are good. Um, they're good for certain situations, certain times in your life. You know, like I don't know if I'm probably not going to be working retainers for the next four years of my life. You know, it's just you evolve as a person, as a business owner and all of these things and as a freelancer. Um, I know for me, bridging that gap from being an employee to being full time, uh, full time copywriter, retainer was like hugely important. I don't think there was any way I could have done that without a retainer. I mean, I probably could have been OK but at that point, I had a mortgage and I was like, I want to continue to pay this mortgage so the bank doesn't take my house. So I think I want a check coming in month after month. Eventually, you get to a point where you say, okay, <clears throat> I'm ready to move on. And you have specialties and you have you know repeatable, predictable, and even scalable methods of client acquisition. And when you have all of those pieces in place, then you could move on from those retainers. But if you don't have all that stuff in place, it's a little bit harder to do the going from job to job. If you're a shark with getting clients and closing them and doing awesome deals, then yeah, you probably don't need a retainer. But if you're someone who just wants to put your butt in the seat and write and then be done with it at the end of the day, retainer is probably a perfect gig for you. Um, you know, I know for me personally, one of the big advantages was I've, I've been able to work with a lot of different clients in a lot of different industries. You know, e-commerce, coaching, online courses, software as a service, like all these different kind of companies. And I've gotten to do so many cool projects and big launches and build these crazy funnels. And I don't know if I would have gotten the opportunity to do that stuff unless I was on that team as, as you know, with a retainer, you know, I'm sure now I probably could because I have all of this experience behind me, but I know when I was starting out, I don't think I could have walked into, you know, one of these, one of the clients I have now and say, Hey, I want to do your entire launch. They'd have been like, well, who the hell are you? Right. (laughs) And with good reason, they would have said that I kind of think of it as like, You know how actors you know they'll they'll toil away in obscurity doing these small parts for years and years and they finally get that one big role and then everyone knows who they are and then all these other opportunities open up i always looked at retainers like that where you could work for one or two or three big names in your industry and now everyone knows who you are now it's very easy every time you talk to a client after that and say, Hey, well, I've worked with this person, this person, here's the launch we did, here's the projects we did and here are the results we've gotten. You know, at that point, these other clients are sold. It's pretty easy to to close those deals. But if you don't have that, it's a lot harder. So it's definitely not the perfect gig. Um, And this is kind of what me and Kim had a little bit of a disagreement with because for me, I was like, "Hey, one of the you know one of the best kind of gigs you can get is a retainer." And I, when I write, I write with conviction, and I don't really stop and edit and say, "Oh man, I hope I'm not <laughs> off too strong or offending anyone." You know, I just write and then I move on with my day, and I go and write ten emails or whatever whatever else I got to do. So that's kind of where she had the whole disagreement. She's like, "You know, retainers aren't the holy grail," and she's right; they're they're absolutely not. I mean, for me, at, at for a large part of my life, they have been because it it really just changed everything for me. But I don't know if that's everyone's, you know. Fairy tale happy ending here.
0: So, before we move away from money, I uh, just want to sort of wrap my head around what's possible here. So, you know, I, and this isn't going to work for everybody, but, you know, with a, let's say you have four retainer gigs, each one 10 hours a week, and you're, you know, being paid $100 an hour for each of those, like, I mean this could be a six figure business if you've got the right clients and if you've you know if you're really focused on helping your clients but that's that's like literally writing 40 hours a week so maybe that's the top end M- retainers probably don't get you to seven figures as as a writer but maybe I'm wrong on that uh, what do you think
2: Well Number one, I don't know many writers who just do client work and make seven figures. Fair enough. Yeah.
0: That, yeah. And that's maybe not even the goal for most people, for Fair. sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and, and that's that's the one. You know, there's definitely people, copywriters out there who make seven figures. I just don't think they make it all from doing client work, um, which is totally fine. I mean, obviously, at a certain point, you get more leverage, which is cool. But here's the way I look at it. When I was a teacher, I was making, you know, my, my last job, I think I was making like $52,000, $54,000 a year. I went in. I got that first retainer. I was making making like four grand a month. And I was like, man, I basically just doubled, almost doubled what I make at my day job. And I'm working three hours a night, you know, for this one particular client and I'm making 300 bucks. And at my day job, I think I made like 250, 275 working eight hours. So I was like, Hmm, okay. The math makes sense here. Now, if you had, you know, if you did, so a 10 hour retainer, um, oh, ten hours a week with a retainer, hundred dollars an hour. That's going to be four thousand a month for forty hours a week, right? That means if you get two of those, you're working eighty hours, eighty hours a month, twenty hours a week, and you're making ninety-six grand a year. So basically, you could work half time instead of or part time instead of full time, make ninety-six K, and you still have you know the twenty extra hours a week that you're not working that you normally would be at a regular job. So that's always the way that I looked at it. That being said. It's kinda of like that saying, you know, the 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 skills that got you out of Egypt aren't gonna get you into the promised land, right? So it's all phases though. It's all, okay, we've accomplished one goal, we've got broken the six-figure mark. Okay, we've gotten to a hundred thousand. Now how do we double that and get to two hundred thousand? Well, you, what you're doing is gonna to have to change. You can take four retainers and then double that ninety-six into What is that? 192 or I don't, I don't know, something like that. Um, yeah, almost 200 K. Um, but you're not going to be able to double that again to get to 400 K because you're not going to work 80 hours a week. So eventually at some point you're going to have to say, okay, how do we scale back and get some more leverage and close bigger deals, maybe do some one-offs, maybe do an agency style thing, maybe get some royalties, um, it's one of those things where it really depends on where you're at in your career. I think it's always good to have at least one to have steady income coming in. I would just be kind of scared to not have any income coming in just because I like to you know, pay my mortgage and eat and go out and not have to worry about things. But some people are okay. They can stomach going, going a month or two without it. Some people will never have to worry about it because they're just so booked up that you know they're, they got a waiting list of six months and they don't need a retainer because they just have more and more clients who want them. So it really depends.
1: Yeah, and I appreciate you talking through this because I think you bring up so many great points and where this could be really valuable for copywriters. So I want to jump into you mentioned Kim, our friend Kim Krause Schwalm. And so for anyone listening who doesn't know the backstory, which probably most people don't, I'd love to hear just kind of the conversation that took place between the two of you behind the scenes and then how that turned into working together in a partnership and something really positive. Um, so if you could just kind of talk through that because I think the best part of that is kind of the happy ending with that story,
0: yeah, I mean, was it even a conversation? It was a cage match, right? like fight
2: to the yeah tell us,
1: <laughs> tell us all the details, all the juicy details,
2: oh man, all right, so so I'll give everyone like i' I'll, I'll take everyone from the beginning, so a while back earlier this year, I said, you know what, for the past you know five or so years, I've just been working like a madman. I've been working you know, I had the the day job for four years in addition to my copywriting career, so I said, okay, let me. Take some time. I could I could actually coast a little bit for the first time in life. I had my retainer clients, I had a few other clients I worked with on you know an on again, off again basis. I said, let me take some time to publish some content because I've done some good things in these five years and I kind of want to share what I've been doing. And I'm really big on content. I'm really big on publishing articles. And I'm not one of these people who likes just posting stupid stuff on Facebook because I don't think it works very well. I know it does for some people. I just don't particularly like it. And that's just me. Um, It works for you. Great. So I said, I'm going to post articles and I'm going to share stuff that I've been doing. So... I started writing articles, and I realized the first few of them they might be okay or they might suck. I don't really know. I'm just gonna start writing articles until I get really, really good at them. So I started writing articles, and I said, One thing I really know, like the back of my hand, because I've done it so much, is all of this freelancing stuff how to get clients, how to negotiate, you know, basically ways to get better at that. Um, so I was like, That's easy, I'll start writing about that stuff first. So I wrote this article about, you know, what I think, how I think the whole freelance copywriting a landscape is changing right and what i saw is i saw you know a lot of sales letters back in the day when i was getting started that said oh you know, you could be a copywriter and earn twenty five thousand uh, dollars. You know, to write a to, to write a you know a sales letter and then collect five figure royalty checks for the rest of your life and sit on the beach in the south of France. And I'm like, oh wow, that sounds great. And I took that hook line and sinker, and then I started getting into it. And I was like, eh, I don't know if that's really the case here. I don't know if that's really that accurate. I might have got you know sold up the river here. So and I looked around more and more and just started exploring and learning uh, you know a lot about the behind the scenes of a lot of these people who you know claim that they're these big copywriters and they have all these big deals and life is amazing and some of them their lives weren't that amazing and I was like man it sounds like there's a lot of just You know, untruth here. And I was like, I think that maybe it was that way at a certain point. Maybe back in the 80s or 90s, you could have, you know, a Magalog or a direct mail letter and you write it, give it to a client, mail it a million times, and then you collect royalty checks. And maybe that was the case. I don't know. I mean, I was only born in 89. I wasn't writing direct mail in the 80s. I don't know what it's like. You know what I mean? Maybe it was. I have no idea. But all I knew was my own reality. And all I knew is I looked around and said, man, the people who are really crushing it you know, I know I'm doing pretty well. And people that I used to look up to, I had passed, I had, I had like blew past them and and like just putting my head down and working. I was like, man, all these people I used to look up to, they're kind of struggling. I'm like, why are they struggling? Am I doing okay? You know, I'm not the best in the world. I'm not saying that I'm no, I'm nowhere near, but I was just like, I'm doing all right. I was able to leave my job and create this better life for myself. And the reason why is because I've gotten retainers. And the more and more I looked at it is that there's so many needs for copywriters that, you need to know Facebook ads, you need to know email, you need to know how to put together a long form piece, you need to know video scripts, you need to know, all YouTube ads, there's like all these different things that really an online business needs, because people don't just do direct mailers, they don't just do one thing anymore, the game has changed a little bit. So I saw the people who are really doing well. And I, even from my own experience, the people who are a little more general in what they do and can do all of those things. You know, a business owner, it's a lot more attractive for them to be like, man, I got this person who can do everything I need. And, you know, via a retainer deal. So I wrote about that. I wrote, you know, I think that the way the landscape is going to change is that copywriters and clients are going to work more in partnerships, which is an idea that I heard from Brian Kurtz. He was the one who first kind of planted the seed. In the mind. I mean, it probably wasn't exactly the same in terms of the way that I phrased it. I will definitely admit that. Because um, he definitely phrased it a little more eloquently and has more experience than I do, but in my mind, I was like, I kind of pulled on that thread a little bit, and I said, I think that it's going to be a lot of retainers, and probably the holy grail would be like a retainer and a rev share, right? But I said, hey, you know what? I write with conviction. I said, you know, I don't know what I said. I said, like, you know, the holy grail of freelancing deals is like retainers, and like, I didn't even think about it. I just wrote it and kind of went on with my day. And then, like, I went on vacation. it came back, and this this kid that I was coaching emailed me. And he was like, oh man, you really pissed this lady off. And I was like, oh God, what did I do now? So he sends me uh, a copy of Tim's Copy Insider's letter. And it was all, you know, screenshots of my article. And she was like, you know, kind of ripping me apart. And I was like, Jesus Christ, what am I going to do about this? You know, like this A-list or this person that I kind of looked up to is like, you know, talking smack about me. I was like, man, what am I going to do? Um, and then you know, I talked to a few people about it. And they're like, just leave it. You got nothing to gain, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of looked at it. I was like, I think I have everything to gain here because here's someone who doesn't know who I am. They found something I wrote. They didn't like it very much. They probably don't have a very high opinion of me. This is kind of like a free roll. Like when I was a wrestler, you know, if you locked hands on top that you're not allowed to do that and your opponent gets a point. So if you're the guy on bottom, you have a free move. We'd all yell free move, free move. And what that means is you're going to get the point anyway. The ref's going to break up the situation, but you could try to score an extra point here, right? So I was like, this is a free move situation right here. Because if I do nothing, she's still not going to think very highly of me. She's still going to think I'm an idiot. But if I kind of punch back a little bit and show her, hey, I'm not someone to be pushed around or to mess with. I'm someone who actually knows what I'm talking about. Maybe I could flip my opinion of her. And that's exactly what happened because I wrote an article, basically a rebuttal. You know, And I think I titled it like an open letter to the A-lister who just lambasted me from the guy you lambasted in your last email. I, something like that. That was the title. And I didn't even send it to her because I just knew I had enough people on my email list, enough people who knew me. I knew it would get back to her somehow. So someone sent it to her. She shot me an email. She's like, hey, let's talk. So I didn't have any, you know, malice or ill will or anything. I just viewed this as, hey, I want to get this lady on the phone because if I wanted to get Kim Kardashian on the phone normally, I'd probably have to pay a lot of money. And now we're talking on the phone for free. And uh, you know, I'm not saying go start flame wars with A-listers. Please, anyone listening, don't go. <laughs> Great tactic. <laughs> it's not going to work out as well. It was just kind of like the perfect storm of things, and I, you know, I, I, kind of try to think like a chess master with this stuff. So I got her on the phone. We talked for like 75 minutes. We actually had a great talk and uh, you know, I you know I I even messaged. I was like hey buddy and she was like hey let's hop on a call blah blah so we we hopped on the call we talked and she was like listen there's just a few things I took issue with and I was like that's totally fine you let me know you know what you think and she told me she's like you know I don't think it's the holy grail I think you kind of you know exaggerate some things here and I was like yeah you're absolutely right I did I just write these things and I blast them out and and that's that and I move along and I kind of explained that to her and I was like yeah I you know I I conceded a few things I was like yeah you're definitely right I was probably wrong about a few things here I probably you know embellished a few things here and there but uh, you know, overall, I still think retainers are, are supremely important for copywriters. And she was like, "Well, I think royalties are." And she she agreed. She definitely used royalties, uh, sorry, retainers a lot in her earlier career. She doesn't really do them uh, anymore because of the type of deals. You know, she's really progressed beyond that point. And I was like, "Man, you know, we talked about so many good things. It's a shame we didn't record this." So I said, "You know, why don't we do something together? Like, it could be, you know." we could do like an interview, we could do some kind of recording or I was like, maybe we could even do a product. We just teach people how to do this stuff. And I was like, no, we both profit. And, and you know, and then all the people who, they get your experience, they got my experience. She works with a lot of the publishers and supplement companies and does a lot of royalty deals. I work with entrepreneurs, e-commerce, like those kind of businesses and do a lot of retainers. So between the two of us, it's like we have every single base covered. Like if you're a freelancer and you're not sure where you want to go, but you know you want bigger and better deals, between the two of us, we really have just an enormous wealth of experience Of, you know, how to close basically any type of awesome. Deal as a copywriter. So we kind of joined forces and we put we threw this thing together. It happened like really, really quick. We wrote the sales letter in a day. We got it up. We got the tech stuff. We got it all hooked up. We started selling it. And uh, yeah, and, and that's where we're at. We got the third call happening a little bit later today.
0: Chris, uh, we're going to run out of time, but I want to shift a little bit uh, to talk about email, uh, something that you've done a lot as part of launches and I think, you know, building other sequences. What are your secrets for creating email that people really want to read and that generate money for your clients?
2: Yeah. So my biggest secret is a very unsexy secret. Um, and I just look at every single email before I sit down and write it. I just think of two things. I think of context and objective. So we'll start with objective. Like objective is like, what are we actually trying to do with this particular email? And the reason why I started thinking like this was because I started working on these huge launch campaigns where we have a hundred emails and we have 10 different pages and we have, you know, all these different sequences and uh, I started thinking, okay, we can't sell everything in the email. We can't sell the entire product in the email. A lot of times with email, it's a matter of, it's kind of like playing football where, you know, you get the ball. The first thing you're not going to do is you're not going to th- chuck it down the field and throw a Hail Mary, right? Why don't we try to run it a few yards? Why don't we try to get a first down, right? And that's the way I look at emails. Like most of the time, an email, the objective of that email is just to get them to click that link and get them to the next page. Sometimes, the purpose of that email is to pre-frame them, change their mindset a little bit um, so that we can prepare them for what they see on the next page. But most of the time, it's get them to click. And that's the objective. And... What what I learned was, you know, so many of these email products that I start out with, they're like stories and all this like elegant copy and like that's cool and all. But then I started doing like these big webinar launches and it was like, hey, that stuff's cool, but we just need them to click the button and sign up for the webinar. So we don't need to to write this two and a half page story to get them to do that. I mean, there definitely are cases where that's necessary and it works and you could always test things out, different markets and all that, you know, stuff that everyone knows. But I said, okay, objective, keeping the objective in mind is really important. And then context as well, because a lot of times context matters, you know, like if you're sending someone to an article, you have options there, right? Like based on what they've seen before, what they know about you, how long they've been on your list, all of these things, you can determine, do I need to put the whole article in the email? Do I need to just tease them and get them to click? Or, you know, same thing if it's a webinar or same thing if it's a reminder email or same thing if it's a cart close, you know, like if you've sent them 30 emails in a launch and then the cart's closing in three hours, you don't need to come up with some elegant story. You could just say, OK, they've seen all this stuff. We just need to tell them the deadlines in, in an hour and they, we have three spots left. I need to click right now to join. Like I said, it's very unsexy advice, but I think that when you look at sequences rather than individual emails, you start to see that stuff and you start to see, OK, what is everything that's come beforehand? You know, even with a basic autoresponder. If you have a 10 email autoresponder, you know, by the time you get to email nine or 10, you need to think, okay, what have they seen before? You know, there's three types of people who read emails. There's people who are going to read every one of your emails. There's people who are going to read some of your emails. And then there's going to be people who read none of your emails. So what we do is we write emails for people who read every single one of them. And then we also include pertinent facts for the people who only read some of them. And we don't really care about the people who will not read any of them. And those are kind of like the lenses that I, that I look through when I think about writing these email sequences. And I know that's kind of vague advice and it's not the most practical thing you can just run and use with. But I kind of try to think of email sequences and campaigns from that 30,000 foot view before we get down to the nitty gritty of actually writing them out and then seeing where to put the stories and all these other things.
1: I think that's great advice. It is sexy advice because I think it's really easy when you're writing big sequences to get caught up in the individual emails and not think of how does this all fit together in the big puzzle. So I love that advice. I want to ask you about your business today because I've been curious to know what does your business look like today? How are you making money today? I know it's less about retainers and you're um, leveraging your expertise and platform now. Can you just talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so the theme for this year, you know, has been like top line revenue and diversification of income streams for me. Um, you know, it used to be just like hey, do one-off projects or retainers and now we have that we have big packages that I offer some you know more productized services. For instance, you know I have a lot of people come to me to do membership site launches, and it's pretty much the same project every single time, so I'm getting faster and faster at those. So what I do is I have my retainers where I get paid month after month. I have some clients who, you know we work every few months, not nec- we don't necessarily do a project every single month. Um, then I also have an email list where you know I do sell some affiliate products, and I only sell stuff that I've personally gone through. Um that's just kind of like my policy if I haven't bought it and used it myself I'm not going to sell it because I don't know that's just the way I do things and then also I've done a little bit of coaching. I'm not really like I don't advertise coaching. I don't really love necessarily taking on coaching students, but sometimes people reach out to me and they shove money in my face and I just take it. because uh, why would I say no? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd be a bad businessman if I said no, right? And and I get people some pretty great results. Um, you know, I work with well, a one-on-one basis on them and you know, teach them all the stuff that I did and, and the the lessons I learned and all that kind of stuff. But uh so I do that and uh, I'm also kind of exploring moving into an agency model where I'm not the only person doing the work because eventually you get to a point where you just have so much work on your plate, you know, where, you know, there's sometimes like right now, these past few weeks, because I'm I'm in the middle of like four launches at a time, which is absolutely insane. I know, but i am been working like 12 hours a day. And you know, how do you double your income from there? Well, you don't double it by working 24 hours a day. Obviously it doesn't make any sense. At some point you have to figure out how to get leverage and how to, Bring on a team. And that's what I've started to do. I've started to bring on a team. I've started to surround myself with writers that I get subcontract stuff to. I've started to, you know, I've hired a VA who actually has a team of people. She's more like an operations manager and she's awesome. Love her to death. And uh, she's helping me kind of, you know, systematize a lot of the stuff that I've been doing and create these more leveraged offers. That's kind of where my business is going right now. It's not as much, it's kind of more. I'm turning into like an entrepreneur rather than just a freelancer, which I think is something that, I'll, you know, a lot of freelancers if you stay in the game long enough, you kind of get that itch and you want to start making yourself money. You know, you get really good at making your clients money. You get it.
0: Hey, Chris, one final question for you. And that is, you know, if you could go back and talk to wrestling coach, Chris, school teacher, Chris, you know, who's just trying to figure this stuff out, what advice would you give him that would make this whole process easier or faster?
2: Oh, uh, good question. There's probably so many things. Um, one thing, one thing I'll probably say is what I did wrong is I bought every book and every course. So like every paycheck that I got for those first few years was going to like, you know, courses and books and every info product I can get my hands on. And that was cool because I, now I know so many different things. And no, no matter what a client asks me to do, I, I pretty much know how to do it just because I bought everything and and looked at everything. But if I could start over, I would pick one specific type of project. And, you know, if it's a webinar or if it's a launch or if it's, you know, an autoresponder or if it's sales pages, I would buy like one training. I would go through it like five to 10 times and I would just look for clients and offer that. Um, And I would say, let me find people who need this thing. You know, I do this thing. Let me find people who need me to do this thing and then do it for them. And then do that over and over and over again until I'm ready to diversify and figure out what I want to do next. I think that's kind of where most people end up anyway. Is they they end up they start doing a lot of stuff, and then they start saying, "I don't want to do this anymore," and "I don't want to do that anymore." They figure out the stuff they really like to do. Like for me, I started doing everything. I was doing VSLs and video scripts and explainers and uh, short sales pages and like just so many different kinds of projects. And then I was like, "I really just like writing emails." And then eventually, I started saying, "Well, people keep asking me for launches, so I just started doing launches." And that's kind of just mainly what I do now with most of my clients, and that's probably what I'll continue to do. But I think if you can figure out something you really like or something that really speaks to you, one specific type of project, it just just helps you streamline your focus and helps you get to the money a little bit quicker.
1: Yeah, I, I love that advice. And I feel like we need to bring you back for part two because there's still, I want to talk about launches and leverage and going from freelancer to entrepreneur and kind of where you are now. So I think we need to bring you back in six months, come back and we'll talk about all of that. In the meantime, if someone wants to find you, reach out to you where can they go?
2: Um, You can go to my website, theemailcopywriter.com. You can sign up for my list. Right now I have a course, depending on when you listen to this, I have a course about how to get your first four-figure retainer. Uh, It's like a seven-day email course. Um, That might change though. It might not be around forever. I might be testing on different lead magnets. So if you're listening and you want it, make sure you grab it right now. Thanks, Chris.
1: All right. Thank you, Chris, so much. This was great.
2: Thank you guys. Appreciate it.